At every ARBA convention, we're greeted by a banner that reads, For five days, you don't have to explain to anyone why you raise rabbits. Our hobby sometimes raises eyebrows. You show what? But once you step inside, you'll discover a world full of passionate, interesting people all working toward the ultimate goal, best in show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If I were looking for a white rabbit, I'd ask the Mad Hatter. Okay, rabbit, you force me to use force. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Best in Show, the podcast dedicated to rabbits and cavies. My name is Alan Messick, and I'm joined by the lovely co-host, Brian e. Smith, also the ARB Standards Committee Chair. How's it going, Bryony? It's going great. We're warming up and uh, enjoying kind of kind of moving into spring. Nice. I'm in Texas this weekend. Not at rabbits, forgive me, everyone, but uh, I'm visiting an Angora goat ranch outside of San Antonio in the heart of Angora goat country. And uh, they are just getting over a massive storm and there are downed trees and limbs everywhere. I think we're actually lucky to have power in this area. So it's uh, I get to see the aftermath. Thank God I didn't have to live through what you guys have been living through in the in the polar vortex. Uh, yeah, we didn't lose power, fortunately, but um, it, it was cold. <laughs> it was really cold. No kidding. All right. So it's on today's podcast, we're going to roll into our more of our format. We took the first episode and we talked about we talked about us, which was fun, of course, and, and why we're doing this. But um, we're going to have like a, a sort of meat and potatoes, a consistent timeline every time. And one of those first things that we're going to get into every episode is um, this time in. So that's like a little bit of history in both Brian and I geek out on rabbit and cavid history, so uh, we we get to have some fun with that and then enjoy uh, and share with you um, pieces of the past, and hopefully there'll be even some things in there that, that you didn't know, maybe that you did know, or maybe that you just found interesting and, and found educational at the same time. So uh, in this time in, uh, in the ARBA, we picked the fall edition of the Domestic Rabbit Magazine of 1997, so fall 1997, and that was actually a special time for me because it was soon after I joined the ARBA in the summer of 97. So one of the first episodes or issues of the domestic rabbit that I got was, was this issue. And in there, it went over uh, things about convention that was coming up. And it's, um, you know, talked about uh, what we typically talk about in the fall when we're doing rabbits and that's, you know, shows and, and then maybe the downtime in the winter for upcoming uh, breeders. So, uh, but before we roll into the, the domestic rabbit side of 1997, uh, we're also going to share about a, a little bit about what was going on in the world in 1987. So in September and October of 1987, we saw, uh, actually in September, uh, the uh, tragic death of Princess Diana, and her funeral was actually in Westminster Abbey, and it was viewed by 2 billion people worldwide on TV. I remember that very vividly. It was a very, very sad time in our history. Um, December of 1997, we saw James Cameron's Titanic premiere in theaters. I think it was one of the first movies I actually saw in the theaters. Um, so a lot was going on in that time. Um, but on the rabbit side, um, Glenn Carr was our executive director or secretary, as he was called back then, 
Our current executive director, of course, is Eric Stewart. And in Glenn Carr's report, he mentions uh, from the ARB office that 3,500 official show sanctions were issued in 1997. And a little trivia for our listeners is uh, about how many official ARBA show sanctions are issued this year. I mean, not this year, but like normal. So, for example, maybe in 2019, not 2020, because we're trying to forget that. Um, but how many show sanctions are issued every year by the ARBA? And actually, I don't know. And Brian, do you have any idea? Um, I don't. You know, I think that would make a great trivia question for our listeners. Bingo. So let's do it, guys. Um, get back to us through our Facebook page. And we'll have a link with this podcast on Facebook so you can reach us and let us know how many official ARBA sanctions are issued um, during uh, these times, not during COVID times, but during times, you know, 30 or 20 years later than 1997. Um, also back in 1997, the ARBA board was still meeting, meeting for mid-year meetings. That means the executive board and the board of directors actually traveled back to Bloomington, Illinois at the ARBA office and had a mid-year meeting in the summer. Um, currently, the ARBA board only meets once a year, and that's at the annual convention. Um, also in the ARBA in 1997, according to this Domestic Rabbit magazine issue, we had some new licensed uh, judges, and uh, three of which, or all three of them, are still active today. That includes Paul Kyle, Mike Peacock, and Ray Stacy. Brianne, what do you have for us on this uh, time in history? Well, I went digging. Um, fall 1997 was actually kind of a special year for me, too. Um, I attended the ARBA convention in Tulsa three years earlier. It was close to our house, but I didn't get to stay the whole time. Um, I didn't get to do the youth contest. I didn't get to get the full convention experience. I did get to show, which is a big part of it. So I went and I pulled out the results book from that convention in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was flipping through and lo and behold, I got to the youth section and uh, the youth French lops, there were 195 shown. They were judged by Ron Riddle and best of breed was a broken six, eight doe shown by Josh Humphreys. I didn't realize this. So I asked him about it later and he said, yeah, I didn't go, but I sent one French lop to the show and it won best of breed. That's pretty crazy. It's hard to think about going to a convention or not going to a convention, sending a rabbit and winning like the pinnacle award for that, for that breed that year. That's crazy. Oh, absolutely. So I thought that was kind of fun. And just flipping through, I saw some other um, interesting things too. This was back when Harlequins were shown by variety instead of group. I um, remember that. Yeah, they were shown, um, you know, black, blue, chocolate, and lilac in both Japanese and magpie. And then they, they got one best of group awards after that. But they were shown by individual variety. And this was um, changed in the 2000 standard or the 2001 standard, because there were some varieties that were, you know, in danger of being dropped and grouping them protected those varieties. So we still have all eight colors of Harlequins in two groups. Just not shown together or just not shown individually. Yes. Very cool. That is correct. Anything else you've got from history? Um, let's see. Flipping through here again. Um, best in show. Um, in open was won by a Holland Lop owned by Jamie Wardlow. This was the first best in show for a Holland Lop. Huge deal for the Holland Lop breed. Yes. Um, it was quite um, quite an honor for them. They were very excited. Um, best in show on the youth side was also a Lop. It was a mini Lop. Very um, cool. Yeah. Some of these people and the winners have since gotten out of rabbits. Um, but I did notice that best group three in youth was won by a Palomino shown by Shannon King, who's still an active exhibitor. With her dad. Very cool. Um, That's such a rare breed. Yeah, it is. Um, so it's really interesting over the years to see how some of these breeds um, have really 
you know, surprised us on the best in show table. It's one of the things I kind of enjoy about the groups. Totally. Is that it does allow some of these great rabbits in some of these lesser known breeds or rarer breeds to kind of have a place to rise to the top. No kidding. I think I remember a Palomino winning group at the 2016 convention in Del Mar. And I believe it was won by the Rabs from Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they've got beautiful Palominos. So yeah, Absolutely. it's really interesting. We've seen, well, when we did the commentary in West Springfield, Silver's won both groups. That's right. Oh my gosh. That um, was a big moment. Yeah, it was. Everyone was shocked. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see these breeds, you know, get that kind of recognition when there's just, you know, a few more categories to compete in. Totally cool. So um, a good segue into that. Actually, our guest today is Josh Humphreys. Josh, is, uh, as most know him, a past president of the ARBA. Uh, before that, he was District 6 director for six years, served on the Standards Committee. He's now back on the Rabbit Standards Committee. And um, many maybe don't know that Josh started out as a youth breeder. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about, about that today and getting started in rabbits and rabbit shows and all the wisdom he has for our listeners. Awesome. Let's get going with him. All right. Josh, you there? Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, tell us, Josh, how did you get started in rabbits? You know, I got started um, through 4-H. Um, actually, my brother, I have a younger brother, and he wanted to go to the, um, you know, the rabbit, the newly formed rabbit group. Uh, and I said, oh, I'll go with you and check it out. Um, at the time, I was showing uh, pulled Hereford cattle. My grandparents lived on a farm and I uh, had been pretty uh, active, you know, with my grandfather with the cattle, and um, I really didn't think much about the rabbit, you know, club. So I went and met a uh, uh, ARBA judge, Ray Hall, who actually lived in the area at the time. Uh, he was at the meeting and talked about rabbit shows and all the different breeds. And uh, when I left, I said, you know, this is kind of cool. I'd, I'd like to go back to another meeting and learn more. Um, and at that time, you know, they, they told us about the ARBA and decided to, uh, to join the ARBA shortly after that, um, and been with it ever since. So this all started from a 4-H rabbit club. A 4-H club that I thought, you know, I don't even know if I want to go and, uh, <laughs> biggest thing I wanted to see if any of my friends were there, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and I got there and thought, wow, this is, you know, really neat. Here's a group of people, uh, you know, like I said, Ray Hall, our, uh, 4-H advisor, uh, April Shepard, a couple of other, uh, breeders that lived in the area. I thought, you know, these are some nice people and this is, uh, could be a, a fun hobby. Uh, you know, show cattle, you have to have a big truck and trailer and lots of space and room and, I thought, you know, I could have a nice little barn and raise rabbits and go to shows and uh, then went to first couple of shows and uh, met several other breeders and watched the judging and thought, you know, I, this is something that I enjoy. I really like this. So it's uh, all started with 4-H. And what um, breed did you start with? Tell us about your first rabbits. My first rabbit that I had uh, was actually, I got it from our 4-H uh, leader. It was a Castor Mini Rex. Um, but while we were, you know, looking at all the different rabbit breeds, I always liked the checker giants. You know, I, I liked the, the pictures of the checkers. And then uh, I saw a few at shows, but all the, um, 
you know, advisors said, oh, I don't know if that's a breed that you need to get. Um, so uh, a few Californians and uh, like the French lops a lot, but I always liked the full arch breeds. You know, that was something that I always liked. Uh, the the checker giants, I thought they were, you know, body structures and their markings. Um, and shortly after that, I got uh, the Britannia Petites. Um, uh, just uh, that full arch body type, something that I always enjoyed. And I think you're best known now for your Britannia Petites. Um, when did you start with those? Did you show those as a youth breeder? You know, I had them as a youth breeder. Um, there was a couple of years that I did not have any of them. Um, you know, after I got my judge's license and worked on a few other breeds to to learn more about them. And I think that's, uh, you know, important for some of these folks if they want to get their judge's license to uh, to raise a few other breeds, you know, to, to learn as much as they can about some of the... Uh, you know, more distinguishing features um, of some of the breeds. So I, I didn't have the petites for a couple of years, and uh, that's the main breed I have now. So um, I know you attended or sent rabbits to convention, obviously, um, by 97. Um, but how did you get started showing in youth? And did you show mostly locally, or um, was it mostly 4-H, ARBA shows? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it was uh, a combination of both, you know, 4-H shows, um a lot of the, um, you know, back then they had uh, at a lot of the local shows, we had, um, you know, a lot of the showmanship competitions and stuff. So I would go for that and some of the local royalty type competitions um, and then quite a few local shows. I went with our 4-H uh, advisor and her kids to a lot of shows. Um, so I really didn't start traveling until... Oh, 1999 or so, you know, started getting out uh, more outside of our area, but uh, a lot of local shows until then. And this was, of course, back when, you know, we're the same age. Your parents would let you go with another family for a weekend or a week and didn't really think much of it. Oh, absolutely. You know, my parents would drop me off at uh, at my friend's house and we would uh, you know, leave uh, a Friday morning and come back, especially if it's summertime and stuff. Gosh, there are some shows along the way we'd stop and uh, some great memories of camping trips and uh, spending a night at some of the overnight shows, the uh, shows that were judged at night. You know, we'd uh, we'd camp there. And I mean, so had a lot of fun. Uh, but it was all, um, you know, in, in a little bit of a different age. Everyone, you know, kind of trusted each other and trusted the uh, 4-H leaders. And you just, that's just what you did. Oh, I remember well, um, National Dutch Show, my senior year of high school, my friend Alan Kennedy and I were going to go. And we'd planned to drive together. And my parents were a little wary about that. But we told them, oh, well, you know, Bob Burgundy is going to we're just we're going to go up to Kansas City and we're going to meet him and follow him. And then something happened. I don't know if his basement flooded or what. And we just decided, oh, we just won't tell my parents. So we drove up to Wisconsin by ourselves, <laughs> uh, seniors in high school. Um, so tell me, um, what was it like? How did you find out that you won Best of Breed French Lop at convention? Well, I sent uh, a French Lop and a Britannia Petite with um, two breeders in our area, 
and uh, they took the rabbits to uh, to Madison and got a phone call that night and said, uh, hey, you're not going to believe this, but your French Lop Doe won best of breed. And I was excited. Um, of course, you know, not being, uh, have never attended a convention before and truly not sent animals to a convention. At the time, I really didn't realize, you know, what an honor it is, an accomplishment, uh, you know, winning best of breed um, at an ARBA convention. So I was excited, uh, you know, because my rabbit won, but I was more excited to hear about how the Britannia Petite did. <laughs> and of course, it was a big chestnut brood, though, that was probably overweight. <laughs> um, and I said, well, how did the petite do? Well, it didn't win, uh, best breed. So I was disappointed about that. That was the, uh, <laughs> the rabbit I liked the best. And, you know, I was a kid and it, it posed up and sat there, uh, after it stopped, uh, trying to attack you, it, it sat there and looked, and looked real pretty. Uh, thinking back, I'm thinking, why in the world did I even send that thing to convention? It was probably an overweight big brood though, but, uh, that, that's what I had at the time. And, uh, so by a phone call, uh, you know, I found out. But then two years later, uh, I was able to go uh, to convention and have been going ever since. And, uh, you know, once you get there and see uh, just the size of the convention and the, uh, you know, enthusiasm of all the breeders that are there, um, you know, it, it, it reflecting back, I, I realized, you know, what, it meant to win best of breed then. Well, actually, I looked up in the book and um, you are listed as winning best chestnut agouti Britannia petite in youth. There were um, 17 total rabbits. Um, back then, petites were only recognized in uh, black, black otter, ruby eyed white, and chestnut. And so I guess you didn't get DQ'd for being overweight. I don't know. Did we have to weigh the top five back then? I'm not sure, um, <laughs> but it was probably the only chestnut there. <laughs> <laughs> no, there actually was a best opposite, so there may oh. have been two. <laughs> oh wow! Well, somebody had a buck. <laughs> somebody had a buck, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but no, so I was uh, disappointed my petite didn't win. But uh, like I said, it was uh, thinking back, it was still it's pretty amazing. You know, you send one rabbit to convention, and she was a nice doe. She had won a lot around here uh, locally, and uh, several best in shows and it was a doe I liked a lot uh, you know I was really happy with her but uh, it was a couple of years later as you know really uh, once you attend the convention and just see everything that goes on you appreciate the win a lot more oh absolutely so um, since you started with cattle what is the difference between rabbits and caveys and other show industries besides just a lack of space and equipment needed for those things as opposed to a larger livestock yeah you know i mean that's the biggest thing there's just the space and equipment and uh, you know you go and you work those big animals and and i you know to this day still really enjoy the cattle and some of the other uh you know larger species but um there's a lot of people you know a lot of money that's involved to get really good you know show animals to start with uh, i was talking to some folks tonight about some of the big uh, you know livestock shows and stuff and they were talking about the prices um you know of some of the different species and you know it's just crazy that some of the money uh 
25, $30,000, you know, to buy a good show heifer to really compete on in some of these states that are super competitive, you know, take Texas, for example, uh, with a lot of their big livestock shows, 25 or $30,000, you know, to get an animal that uh, will be in the top end group. Uh, you know, you can get started depending on the breed of rabbit and the connections that you make with folks. You know, it's a lot more affordable. Um, it's something that uh, you don't have to have a lot of land and a lot of money uh, to get started in raising rabbits or cabies. Um, and I think that's a, you know, a very positive thing for our industry and a, a big reason that we, uh, you know, that we have such a good membership in the ARBA and we retain that. Um, and a lot of these, even right now with uh, the COVID restrictions and everything going on, you see a lot of people at shows, you see big numbers at shows because it's something affordable. It's something people can do. It's a, uh, a good hobby and you basically get what you put into it. Um, you know, with the other species, just the amount of time and money that's involved, um, it, it can be very difficult. Well, and I the, think and too. One other point too, uh, the rabbits and cavies, this is something that, uh, you know, it doesn't just have to be a project that these kids have. Um, if they start out, it can be something that they, you know, you always have the animals. If you go and you spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars on a show heifer, and then uh, you place and it's time to sell the animal, you have to sell the animal to get your investment back. You know, uh, you just uh, invested a ton of money, and um, it's something that just uh, is not feasible for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. Um, rabbits are very much a year-round project. I know when I was in 4-H, you know, kids would buy steers, lambs, hogs, and work with them through the summer and then sell them at the sale. But I had my rabbits year-round. And with rabbits, of course, there's the expectation that, I mean, sure, you, you buy an animal and show it sometimes, but the real, you know, benefit to the hobby, the real fun in the hobby is raising and showing your own. Well, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, I think one thing that we are seeing bigger entries, um, you know, on some of these youth uh, shows and agriculture events, uh, you're seeing bigger numbers in the rabbits and cavies. Uh, for example, you know, I'm going to judge the Houston Livestock Show tomorrow. I think there's close to 1,800, 2,000 youth rabbit entries. Uh, they had the cavy show today. If I remember correctly, they told me there's 120 cavies entered, uh, which is double what they had last year as far as a cavy entry. So it's something that, you know, even in these times right now uh, where there's restrictions, this gives people something to do. It's something, you know, they can keep at their house. Uh, it's, you know, it's not something that requires a lot of, maintenance and a lot of work uh it's a fun hobby you know so uh i think that that's a um you know a big thing right now with a lot of the the youth members that we have um they just it's just not feasible for people to especially with as many people not living in real rural areas anymore you just don't see uh you know a lot of these farm animals that people can have oh absolutely 
um, it's become, you know, harder and harder to kind of afford land. Completely. Even Absolutely. in areas uh, like where I live, housing is pretty cheap. If you want to you know, live in the city, housing is affordable, but affording land is another story entirely. So tell us a little bit more about for people that maybe haven't been to a show for a while or aren't terribly familiar with shows quite yet. Um, what is what was your your perfect rabbit show be like? Could you describe that for us? Hell, you know, each show is so unique and so different. Um, I like shows that uh, are well planned and organized. And, you know, I don't think that a lot of people understand the amount of work that goes into just a small local show. Um, there's a lot of coordination. There's a lot of uh, planning. There's a lot of different roles for, uh, you know, different members of a show committee to perform to make a show go well. Um, anybody can say, hey, we're going to have a rabbit show today. Just show up at the house and, uh, okay, then what are you going to do? Who has the judging equipment? Uh, you know, who's the show secretary? Who's notified everybody that you're supposed to have a show? <laughs> um, who's pulled the ARBA sanctions and the breed specialty sanctions, provided the awards, who's bringing the food, you know, I mean, so there's lots of different roles and lots of different things. So, you know, each show is unique. Uh, I enjoy some of the small shows uh, that you go to some of just the, you know, breed specialty shows, um, you know, some of the great ones like the, some of the Flemish shows that they've had in the past up in Cortland years ago. Uh, that I've judged. It's just Flemish giants only. It's people who's there, you know, who love the breed. You spend the weekend with them judging their animals. Uh, some of the big, you know, uh, Dutch specialty shows, the Ohio Dutch shows, uh, and then moving on to some of the national shows. Uh, each show is just unique. Um, and I, I don't know if there's such thing as what I'd consider the perfect show, but I think the or the perfect show that, uh, you know, for me to attend. But I think it's a show where you're going to see your friends that's well-planned, that's thought out, and everybody has a good time. I do think that sounds about perfect. Um, so what advice would you have for someone who's maybe attending their first show and isn't quite sure how all of this works? How would you suggest that they begin to get involved with the, the hobby of showing? You know, the good thing about our current times is the technology that we have. I think with, uh, you know, Facebook and social media platforms are often misused. Uh, but for attending your first show, there are a lot of Facebook groups and connections that you can make with a lot of breeders. You know, hopefully you've gone and purchased some good animals uh, you know, from a quality breeder that you can ask questions to, that you can send Facebook messages, that you can send pictures of animals, um, you know, that you're considering showing. Um, and I know that you can only tell so much by a photograph, but at least you get an idea. So you can talk to these people. So you can talk to these breeders um, and just, you know, ask questions. That's the biggest thing is, is if you're new to the hobby, you're, new to going to shows there's a show that you're interested in each show has a show catalog or a flyer or an event page that 
is explaining everything that's going to happen at that show from the time the building opens to when entries are due, uh, you know, any specialty shows that are being held, any special awards they're giving out. So read the show catalogs, read the, uh, you know, event pages, and then ask questions if you have. I think that's the biggest thing is people should do their homework a little bit and be prepared when they, before they get to a show. Um, I know years ago it was uh, much tougher, uh, I guess you'd say. You'd walk into a showroom, you carry your rabbits in, have no clue who anybody is. Uh, you, you had a, a paper show catalog that came in the mail, and you printed off MapQuest directions to get to the show. <laughs> Seven <laughs> so, turns uh, to get out of your own neighborhood. Oh, exactly. So I think nowadays if people would use social media properly and would make good connections with breeders and, you know, ask questions, they'll find that the rabbit and cavy breeders for the most part are very willing to help people. You know, they, if they've been successful in this hobby, it's because someone helped them at one point. Um, and you'll find, and I think you'll agree, most of these rabbit and cavy breeders are very willing to share information and share knowledge. Um, and because they want to see people succeed, they want to see the hobby continue. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just do your research before you get to a show, ask questions. Oh, I, I agree completely, especially right now, the times we're in with both COVID and RHD in some parts of the country, you know, we're all focusing on how can we help the hobby survive and continue and so that we can hopefully soon come back to something like what we left in 2019. So what would you suggest for people that are maybe wanting to get involved in helping to put on a show, but aren't quite sure where to start? You know, there's the show committees who are hosting these shows. All you have to do is volunteer. As I was saying earlier, you know, who's going to bring lunch? Who's bringing the judging tables? Who's providing the awards? Someone has to pass the awards out. Someone has to help clean the showroom up. Someone has to carry breed folders to the table. Somebody has to, you know, take drinks to the judges. Um, so just volunteer and tell them you're willing to help because they're going to find something for you to do. You know, it's uh, all this is volunteer based. Uh, so there's definitely a need for as many as possible and people who can, uh, you know, who are willing to do this. Because if people aren't willing to step up right now, um, as the generations keep progressing, there's not going to be anybody to do it. You know, I've seen so many clubs that uh, are no longer maybe because a small group of members held the club together. As they continued to aid, no one stopped help. So I think it's very important for anybody, you know, when you're attending some of your first shows, ask what you can do to help. Um, because it's, you know, most of these shows, with a few exceptions throughout the country, do not have a very large, you know, show staff. It's a small group of people hosting these shows. Um, so I just recommend that everybody, you know, ask how they can help. 
um, ask the show secretary, the show superintendent. Some show catalogs have everything broken down, who's in charge of certain, uh, you know, um, job duties throughout the show. Just volunteer. Excellent advice. Um, so obviously right now, um, things are starting to start starting up again a bit. Um, we have some shows in some parts of the country, but there are still some restrictions, um, like we talked about both COVID and RHD. How can rabbit breeders stay interested in the hobby when maybe they're in an area where they haven't been able to attend shows for a while? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question because, uh, and it, you got to remember that we have rabbit breeders and friends uh, not only in the United States, but all across the world. You know, if you're in this hobby long enough, uh, and even if it's people you've never met in person, but if you're using social media, um, you know, to your advantage to talk to breeders across the world about the breed that you're raising or husbandry practices or, um, you know, anything rabbit-related, caviar-related, um, you uh, you know you make friends all across the world, so uh, this is not only affecting people here in the U.S. I know in England they've been on some pretty uh, significant lockdowns. Um, you know, there's a lot of online um, photo shows uh, that have been happening uh, that's kept people pretty engaged, um, and I, I think it's a good thing for uh, especially some of the new breeders or uh, people who um, are raising several of the COD breeds, you know, Velveteen Lops. I know they've had several um, online Velveteen Lop shows, and that's been a good thing that people can see what other people in the country are raising, and they're getting critiques from judges to see if they need to work on approve, you know, for this new breed that's under development. Um but I think just trying to keep, uh, you know, keep in touch with with your fellow breeders. Um, if you want to participate in some of the online shows, the photo shows, I think it, it's a good thing to keep people engaged. Um, of course, I have friends, you know, all across the world and uh, try to keep in touch with, with some of the ones I'm pretty close with. And, um you know, that's helped a lot. And I think it's helped some of them as well to, to reach out and want to talk to, to people who are going to some shows. I had my good friend in England, uh, Phil Gould, I talk to him on a pretty regular basis and video chat and look at his shed and look at his animals. And, um, you know, with the lockdowns that they're on, he keeps saying, you're so lucky that maybe you're not going to as many shows as you normally go to but you're still getting to go to some shows. So he calls just to ask about shows and, you know, what's winning and, uh, you know, what, what, uh, have you been seeing at shows and have you seen other friends of his at shows just, you know, just, uh, to a show every weekend, uh, you know, as they could. I think technology has really been a help. Um, I mean, we'll talk about online shows more in a minute, but I know when you and I both started in the mid early mid nineties, we could send pictures of rabbits, but it's like you go out to your barn, you take your camera, you put some film in it, you pose the rabbit up, you take a picture, maybe you take a couple more, hoping that the rabbit didn't move. You take it to you know, the drugstore or Walmart, you drop it off, you pick it up in a couple of days, you see what the pictures turned out like, if anything's good, you put it in the mail to your friend, you know, and, and now we can 
use technology, we can send pictures instantly. We can video chat with each other and look at animals. And I think, you know, even for those of us that haven't been able to go to as many shows, you can still connect with people. You can still get advice. You're not, you know, you're not an island like maybe we would have been 20 or 30 years ago. Oh, if this would have been going on then, I think that we could have had a a much more significant, uh, you know, loss of uh, of some of our breeders um, because, you know, now you send a text to someone or you hit a button on your phone and you you can video chat with them immediately. <laughs> uh, back then, you know, if you didn't write a letter or make a long distance phone call or go on your uh, dial up internet and hopefully the picture sends and you're able to get the email out somebody, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it just, uh, you know, so the technology I think is something that has really helped, uh, you know, keep people engaged with one another. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Like you said, um, I, I think this would have been a lot harder. We would have had more people get out. Unlike some other species um, that show we give comments on every rabbit we judge. So the exhibitor not only gets a placing, but they get feedback on specifically, you know, what they need to improve, specifically what good traits they have. And that provides them with a lot of assistance in moving their herd forward. Oh, absolutely. And I think that helps a lot too, you know, even, uh, and I know we'll talk about it in a minute, but some of these online shows, you know, uh, there's lots of comments after the shows and there's lots of comments from the, um, you know, from the judges and then questions from the exhibitors, especially the newer exhibitors or people who are new to a particular breed. Um, so it, you know, serves as a learning opportunity. So have you judged any online shows? I've judged a few. Um, the biggest thing, and I'm not opposed to judging them, but with everything going on in my work schedule and opening our new veterinary clinic, it's just been something that the time frame has just not worked out. Um, but I have done a few shows, and actually, I did a few shows uh, uh, for um, to help out a group in South Africa who is working on ARBA breeds. Uh, they had quite a few New, Ze- New Zealands and Jersey Woolies, and they wanted an ARBA judge's perspective of you know, how their animals looked and then, uh, critique like you're saying, uh, so they could improve upon their animals. All the way in South Africa. Did mm-hmm. they import their rabbits from the U S or have they had those there for a while? Or? They've had them there for a good while. They've had them there for a good while. They're kind of limited on their gene pool, but, um, it, it was, it was pretty neat to see, uh, you know, some of the breeds and some of the characteristics that they have bred for, they have an ARBA standard. Um, they've had some BRC judges who have done shows for them in the past. Um, so it, it's pretty cool. I mean, they're wanting to reach out and they're wanting to learn. You know, uh, uh, quite a few of the animals they had were New Zealand's. They had some Californians. They're looking to raise good, you know, show quality commercial animals for the for the biggest aspect. Uh, so it was pretty neat to, you know, give some comments and help some of those folks out. That's exciting. Um, I've done not many online shows like you. I've been, you know, kind of busy with 
things, you know, work, transitioning to work from home. And of course, everything with the standards committee, it's been a busy year for the committee as we prepared the new standard and then taking over the chair position. Um, But one thing that surprised me, I judged a county fair that I've done in person many times. It actually takes longer than judging in person. Oh, 100 percent, you know, because excuse me, if you're at a regular show, you're pulling out a couple animals to compare the animal um and make your selection if you have it on your computer or on your phone you look at the picture you scroll back and look at the other picture you scroll back and look at this picture (laughs) and uh you know then by the time you make your placements and have to type your comments out um and you know you're judging a show and you're in a good rhythm and routine and giving comments and talking and placing and moving the animals uh, it's a lot more difficult to do it while you're sitting looking at it. Uh, I, I found that it takes a, uh, a little bit longer as well. Yeah, and you're trying to you know look at the photos and, and try to determine if maybe the angle is affecting the appearance of the rabbit. You know, give comments accordingly, um, <laughs> things like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, I really, for one, um, when they first started, I'm not going to lie, I was a little skeptical, you know, show by picture, okay. But I pretty quickly realized that we needed to do something like this to get everybody involved and actually ended up being very inspired seeing how many people put in a lot of time and effort to set these shows up, to recruit judges, to figure out how to use this platform to make an online show. I mean, people have volunteered so many hours just to keep this hobby going for the love of it. Yeah, I I agree completely. And I think um, one thing in the very beginning, um, You know, you see some of these original online shows and you see rabbits that aren't even alive anymore. You know, they, (laughs) you you see, you see a Polaroid picture that somebody's taking a, you know, a photo of it with their iPhone (laughs) and posting it. Well, you know, what's the fun in that? You know, a rabbit that's been dead for 10 years, you know, entered an online show. Uh, one thing that would be kind of neat is to get a lot of old pictures um, of previous convention winners and class winners and let people post those and look at them. That would be kind of neat. But uh, but that's not the purpose of all this right now. This is, you know, hopefully animals that people are raising or that they're keeping at their house and working with and, um, you know, entering those animals for critique and uh, and competition with the other uh, exhibitors. So it turned me off a little bit in the very beginning, you know, you're just seeing these, uh, kind of recycled photos and, uh, that takes kind of the fun out of all of it. And I I didn't think all that was great, but as things have progressed, you know, you see, uh, that, as you said, a lot of these show committees are making great improvements. You know, you have to have a placard or a card stating, you know, that that is an actual animal. They have, specific details and how the animal is supposed to be posed and uh, the different angles they want to see. And so I I think some of the advancements that have been made in a short period of time have, uh, you know, brought a lot of, um, you know, improvements in these online shows and makes them a lot more, uh, you know, valid and useful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And educational. I think that's what everyone really wants to help them improve their own herd to decide maybe which animals they should keep, which faults they should work on improving. I know one of the first online shows I saw 
pop up, scroll through my newsfeed. It even said something like the rabbit need not be alive. I think to just kind of skirt around complaints about, you know, dead rabbits being shown. Um, oh, yeah. You know, at, <laughs> the last time I was in England, I went to Phil Gold's house and went inside and where he won best in a show at Bradford a couple of years ago. There's a great big picture in his uh, in his office, you know, of this rabbit. And so I took a photo of it. Um, I mean, it's a real nicely framed and uh, just a real good quality photo of this rabbit. It looked outstanding. And I thought, you know, I've got this photo on my phone. I can just crop this down and I can just enter this at every show in the world. Who's going to know? <laughs> you know, and, and that's the stuff that, you know, just uh, that makes you a little bit skeptical or in the beginning of all the, uh, you know, online shows just some of the things that uh, you you saw going on. But uh, I think with the advancements and improvements, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's brought a lot of, um, of people together and they still get to exhibit their animals. They still get to, um, you know, see what other people are raising. And I think a big thing is, uh, you know, the real serious breeders, the people who are, um, you know, in this for the long haul, they've taken this opportunity to really breed their animals, to really go through and, uh, you know, call hard and make tough decisions to make their herd better. Um, I think it's a, a period where, you know, are you going to show this rabbit for several months and try to win shows with it? Or this is an animal we need to go ahead and put in the herd right now. There's no shows to go to. So they're getting a couple more generations ahead. Or it's um, maybe time to do a little experimenting and um, breed outside of the box a bit. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, this is a great time to, you know, make a few uh, experimental breedings and see what <laughs> may happen. Um, you know, because if there's no show to go to, uh, it's a perfect opportunity to see what works and what doesn't work, you know, to continue to improve your herd. So uh, I, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of breeders and talked to a lot of breeders uh, who have really taken this time as an opportunity to do everything possible to uh, to really improve their herd. And I really think that once a lot of these COVID restrictions have passed and we're moving forward, that there's going to be some great animals on the show table. You know, I think some of the uh, people who have really been working hard on this through this time, uh, they're going to come out with just some wonderful animals. Well, we've been kind of freed from the the typical cycle, you know, for those people that are in it for the long haul that plan to do, you know, almost every convention or breed national show, you breed for those shows. And that was one thing I noticed this year is I am not bound to breeding by any particular schedule. Oh yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, instead of holding some of these animals back till they're, uh, you know, eight, nine months old because you want to show them uh, when they're ready to breed, they get bred. You know, there's no show that you're holding it back for. Uh, so go ahead and keep getting generations ahead. Absolutely. So um, do you have any pictures of your, your best to breed French Lop Doe? Do you think that she would compete well in online shows? You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> as you are talking <laughs> earlier, you have a... Uh, you know, you have to take a picture, you have to take the film, and gosh, as many pictures as you see of rabbits these days, there'd be a lot of wasted film. 
because I can tell you right now, uh, you can stand out and try to take a picture of a Britannia Petite, and you'll take 20 pictures, and not one of them is good. So, uh, so I'm thinking, gosh, uh, you know, if you had to do that nowadays, uh, the heck with taking photos of rabbits. Uh, but I do have a couple, because those French slops, you know, aren't quite as active, so you get them set up, they normally just lay there. Um, I do have several pictures of the doe that won best to breed at convention. And, you know, I think she would do okay. Uh, she was a fairly massive doe, was a good bone and uh, deep, had a real pretty blanket pattern. She was a nice doe. So I, I think as far as uh, pictures go, she could do well. Well, there you go. Maybe you should find one of the ones that, hey, that allows. <laughs> that's right. Maybe I should find one of the Polaroid pictures and take a picture of my phone and see. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, but no, I think, uh, like I said, I think these online shows do have a very good purpose if they're used correctly. Um, you know, let people uh, help educate. And, um, you know, and, and going back to the question about shows and how shows run, you know, it's a pretty good way because a lot of the uh, clubs that are hosting these online shows, they're posting all the entries, they're posting all the different classes, um, so people can log in and see these things. You know, so it gives some of our new uh, exhibitors a good way to, um, you know, see how some of the different breeds and varieties are broken down in a showroom class. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, as long as it's fun and it's educational, that's a good thing. You know, I've even observed some people that were pretty new to rabbits when this all started and maybe hadn't even been to an ARBA show yet. And they now seem to have a really good grasp of how the show runs, how to enter rabbits. And I think, you know, they're going to hit the ground running once they're able to attend shows again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's all based on, um, you know, using social media for a positive cause. And um, I think it's a great thing. You know, it's it's very sad for them that they got into uh, into this wonderful hobby at such a bad time. Uh, but hopefully they have learned, you know, to to handle their animals, and pose their animals and work with their animals. Um, so if, uh, you know, if any of these things have been beneficial to them, I think it's great. Absolutely. So we are starting to see, you know, besides the people that have stayed in the hobby and found other ways to participate, people that may be getting a little discouraged, what advice would you have for them to to kind of stay involved and stick with it? Well, I think much better days are coming. You know, we're already seeing a decrease um, in some of the COVID cases. We're definitely seeing that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have... Um, the COVID vaccine, um, you know, seeing some of the herd immunity throughout the, um, the world. So I think better days are coming, you know, and I just don't think that they need to, uh, to hang it up just yet. They just need to keep breeding their animals. They need to keep looking for that, uh, better day. Um, I was talking to some folks here tonight, about what's going to happen with shows once things are back in full swing. You know, are we going to continue to see um, maybe fewer shows, but bigger shows? Are we going to, you know, things come back to normal and have across the country every weekend again? 
be very curious to see how all this plays out. You know, if uh, some clubs decide uh, right now, there's several clubs that are going together, you know, and, and hosting shows. Uh, so they're not having very many, but the ones they're having have very large. Uh, we get past this, uh, you know, COVID phase that we're in, or is it um, going to go back to the way it was? But uh, the biggest advice I give folks is just just keep at it. So you've been in rabbits for almost 30 years now. Um, tell us why you've stayed in rabbits all this time. Well, one of the main things is the friendships that you make. You know, if, if I didn't have any animals right now, I think that uh, or I'd be in touch with so many people, um, you know, across the world. Uh, the, the friendships you make are just, are just great. You know, I mean, there's, uh, trips and vacations that people take at times with their, uh, fellow breeders that have nothing to do with rabbits. You know, it's just, uh, they, they formed great friendships with people. So, uh, I think that's been a, a huge thing. Of course, I like breeding the rabbits. I like, um, you know, preparing them for shows. We have our National Britannia Petite Show coming up very soon. So I've been working with uh, quite a few animals and seeing what's going to go and not go and what may get sold. You know, it seems to be quite a bit of uh, interest in, in the breed right now. So um, I think um, at the end of the day, though, it's the friendships that you make. So do you want to throw in a little plug for the Britannia Petite National Show? Yeah, the Petite National Show uh, is the first weekend in March in Dalton, Georgia. Um, Eric Stewart, current executive director of the ARBA, he's going to be judging the national show. Um, He's had petites and actually currently has petites again uh, that he's working with and uh, does a great job with them. So it should be a really good show. I've been looking forward to it, and I think, um, you know, it, it, it's um, with COVID and some of the other restrictions we have right now, I don't think it will be a huge show, but I think there'll be some real nice animals there. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be uh, be a lot of fun and just look forward to see what, uh, you know, what everybody brings. Absolutely. Well, I'll be out there judging myself, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, I think you're coming out, and we'll have a have a nice weekend. There's, it's a big show. Um, you know, it's a Northwest Georgia show in Dalton, Georgia. They've had a triple show for many years now, and <clears throat> over the past few years, expanded to having a uh, specialty shows on Sunday, and they've gone over very well. We have more clubs and breeds that join every year to have specialties on Sunday. And it's, uh, it's grown to a, a pretty good size event. So I always look forward to that show and it's fairly close to my house. And so I get to go home at night and come back and several judges normally come and stay at the house. And it's, uh, it's always a fun weekend. I look forward to. Rabbits and friends. Those are the best weekends, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Josh. Um, We appreciate all your advice. We know our listeners will as well, um, as well as getting to know you a little bit better. 
Well, absolutely. No, I appreciate, uh, you know, having the opportunity to talk to y'all. And um, like I said, the biggest thing is everybody just keep working for the good of the hobby. Better days are coming. And uh, I hope to see as many people at shows as possible. Absolutely. Well, we're going to go back now. Alan has some uh, education for us. He's chosen some an interesting study about breeding rabbits from the domestic rabbits that we started this episode with. Alan, what do you have on that? I, yeah, exactly. And I think that's going to lead into something that, that Josh touched on. It was a great interview, by the way. Great, uh, great questions, Bryony, and uh, really appreciate, appreciate Josh's inspirational words. I mean, uh, there are a few people as involved in the ARBA uh, in really worldwide rabbit and KV as, as Josh. Um, so my, my session tonight is going to be about uh, breeding, and I date back to that September-October issue of Domestic Rabbit Magazines in 1997, and I bumped into an article by Dr. James McNitt, who was, of course, one of the, the leaders in rabbit science in our country at one time. Uh, he and co-authors uh, came out with, of course, Rabbit Production, one of the best books uh, on science in rabbits. And, and he used to write more frequently in the Domestic Rabbit Magazine, and in this particular issue, he talked about breeding sessions. So... Um, at his university, that was University A&M College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he looked at uh, 121 rabbit litters from 42 different does, and he studied the uh, the idea of rebreeding. So that's like, you know, you breed a doe once, right? And then you oftentimes put her back in her, in her cage, and then you wait 30 days, or you palpate in between, et cetera. But he looked at what happens when you, when you rebreed. So he took um, four groups of rabbits, uh, one uh, section of does, we'll call those uh, group one, they were bred just once, and then that was it. Group two, they were bred once, and then he went back with his students 90 minutes later, bred again. Um, the third group, he bred again once, and then came back two hours later. And what was really interesting is that um, of all the groups, there was no uh, really effect on um, you know the number of live kits born or the number of dead kits born or, or litter size. But what he did find is that that group that was rebred after 90 minutes actually had a higher uh, conception rate. And, you know, he and his students investigating, why in fact is, is this going on? Why would the difference of 90 minutes uh, make a difference in conception and the number of does it actually took? And uh, because rabbits are induced ovulators and they're very unique in their, in their function as reproductive animals, because they don't ovulate or, or drop eggs until they're actually stimulated by a buck. So, um, when you look even closer, what happens is the uh, luteinizing hormone, which is one of the hormones involved in ovulation, it actually peaks at um, 90 minutes. So it's it's no wonder that when the rabbits were rebred, the eggs were already dropped and they were actually farther down maybe the fallopian tube. And that's why the conception rate um, increased. So uh, maybe a tidbit from this for breeders that are at this time of year, especially looking to breed rabbits and, and make litters because it is springtime and yearly is that maybe you should consider rebreeding after about 90 minutes. So, um, Brian, in your barn, do you rebreed rabbits? Um, I do actually. And it was this article many years ago that kind of helped me, uh, set my clock that way. Um, normally I go over lunch and that's when I breed rabbits. I breed rabbits uh, once and then I, you know, kind of put around, maybe do a little bit of cleaning, get out some litters, you know, look at my juniors, um, and then breed them again and go back to work. And it seems to work very well. 
That's pretty cool. And um, it's, it's funny that you actually knew about this article <laughs> before I before I kind of randomly uh, chose it from this domestic rabbits. But I think it's a timely one, especially, you know, reverting to what Josh said, like, and I believe the same thing. I think that some of the best rabbits and caveats to be seen in, in history are going to come out of COVID because, us, you know, the diehards, they're, they're at home breeding. They're not focusing on traveling to shows on the weekend. They're not putting together an entry on Monday night. Um, instead, they're, you know, they're really working hard and cranking things out in the barn. And like Josh said, you know, does that otherwise would have been on the show table for a longer time, maybe until they're like eight or nine months old, or are probably being rebred, sorry, not rebred, but bred for the first time earlier because they have no show, show career. So um, it's, I think it's really going to accelerate some of the quality. So, you know, uh, for our listeners uh, who are doing the same thing back home, maybe try this advent, which Brian, you've already been doing for many years. So I think I'm going to try to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like Josh said as well, um, now's the time to be really selective about what you're keeping. Um, you know, when people can't take rabbits out to shows and maybe they don't have the opportunity to get out and sell, um, I think it's really time to think about why am I keeping this animal? Is this something that's going to move my herd forward? Or is this, you know, just kind of a bee string? Is this a, you know, an extra uterus <laughs> around the herd? Um, it's a really good time to, to take a hard look at what you've got and how it can help you get where you're going. Yeah, totally. Double down and and make the make it make it better than make it better than ever. Make your make your career as a, as a breeder even better than ever. So very cool stuff. Um, awesome interview. Thank you, Josh Humphreys again, former ARB president and current member of the ARB Standards Committee for for joining us tonight. Um, I think we'll probably have him back on. He's got lots to say, and of course, he's got a worldwide perspective that is just super fascinating. He's been around the world and seen rabbits. And KVs like like very few people have. So, um, with that said, I think we're going to wrap things up for episode two. We thank everyone for listening in and joining us tonight. We've got many episodes to come, and uh, with even more interesting guests, just like Josh. So, uh, with that said, guys, you know, talk rabbits, talk KVs, whatever it is that will keep you inspired during these tough times. Um, at the end of the day, it makes us happy and it gives us fulfillment. And we are going to be back at things just as we always were, very very soon. So. See you at the next episode. See you later. While this podcast would not be possible without the American Rabbit Breeders Association, it does not constitute an official communication of the association. The information, viewpoints, and opinions expressed herein are those of the hosts and our guests and are not endorsed by the ARBA. To learn more about the ARBA, please visit www.arba.net.